Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us on another special edition episode of the PigX podcast, highlighting some of the amazing speakers that presented at the Iowa Swine Day last month. I'm your host, Delaney Howell. Today, we're turning our conversation over to a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention in the swine industry, but is certainly one that impacts swine profitability. So let's turn it over to my conversation with Dr. Ryan Brook to chat about the wild boar population. One topic we don't talk a lot about in the swine industry, which was very evident at the Iowa Swine Day, is the wild boar and wild hog population, both in the United States and in Canada. And we're lucky to be joined today by Dr. Ryan Brook, the Associate Professor of Animal and Poultry Science at the University of Saskatchewan. Yes, Saskatchewan, Canada. Ryan, thank you so much for joining today on the PigX podcast. Very excited to talk to you about your background and the wild boar population because you make it a very interesting and exciting topic to talk about. So thanks again for joining. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks to be down. uh, Nice to be down from Canada for a visit. So, Ryan, let's start out talking a little bit about your background and some of the research that you've done in the wild boar sector specifically. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more? Well, my background started, I grew up on a farm just outside of Winnipeg, and uh, we made an awful lot of hay bales to sell and a lot for our own operation. And so at one point when I was 19, I said, I need step away from the farm and do something different. And so I went up to the Arctic and uh, spent a summer there and started working on wildlife. And so through that, developed this idea of working with wildlife and agriculture, given my farming background. And so ultimately ended up uh, studying this agriculture-wildlife interface, which can be so important, on, especially on the disease side. And this great conversation with my department head when I was hired, I said, so what do you think I should be working on? And he gave me this weird look and said, well, you're a university professor. You get to do whatever you want. So we hired you because we like what you do. Do what you want to do. And so I said, wow, I have this wow moment where I, ha- I could literally do whatever I wanted. And at that time, we were just hearing small snippets of these wild pigs. And there was people sort of scratching their heads, what do we need to do about it? And it was a pretty small issue. And so I said, well, what can I throw a career of research at? And this was one of them. And so we dipped our toe into it. I had a small startup grant from the university. We started putting up trail cameras. And at that point, we had one big question. Do they actually exist in the wild in Canada? Because we didn't really know. A lot of people said, well, no, they're just escapees. They'll never survive. A Canada winter is four below for goodness sake how and you know we've i've seen days in my life where we had 38 days in a row where it was never warmer than 30 below so no pigs are not going to survive this well they did and they started to become established and we proved this with and then they said well sure they're out and they're living but they're not reproducing in the wild and then we found a sow walk past the camera with four piglets of you know 40 50 pounds and then five other little piglets that had the wee little stripes on them and we said that's female has two litters in one year which really surprised us and of course that's one of the big characteristics of wild pigs is they have this high reproductive rate and and in the wild in canada they have six young per litter two litters per year on average and so this incredible ability to expand and become a real problem and you know i call them the worst invasive large mammal on the planet and i think i'm supported by many and agreeing with that and so it's a huge risk to the environment it's a huge risk to human and public health and safety and it's a massive risk to agriculture in terms of the crop production side and on domestic animal side 
Now, you mentioned size and reproductive rate, which is some of the biggest glaring differences between domestic hogs and wild hogs. But talk to us a little bit more about the differences that are very noticeable between the two types. Yeah, well, of course, we have a whole range of, of breeds of domestic pig. But And what is interesting about the wild boar, when they were brought to Canada, the experts said if you want to have a bigger animal, higher reproductive rate, and a longer animal, and just overall better production, cross them with the domestic pig. So almost everything inside a fence and living out in the wild is actually a hybrid with some domestic pig genes. And unfortunately, that actually we call them super pigs now because all of that great advantage that makes them you know, so successful on farm compared to the, where they were 500 years ago means that they're even harder to get under control and they spread. Uh, and visually, when you see them, it can be hard to tell. Uh, what we really say is if it's, if it's anything that looks like and oinks like a pig outside of a fence, then it's a wild pig because it can be potbelly pigs from the pet industry. There are some free-ranging domestic swine, so you could see a Durek landrace, you know, a, a pink pig running around the landscape that might be three or four generations removed from being on a farm. Those are relatively rare. And then more commonly, a wild boar type that's kind of a gray-brown color, but they're covered very thick fur. They sometimes spotted. Sometimes they're jet black. Sometimes a reddy color. Most commonly, it's a gray-brown mix. So color, size, reproduction, etc. Those are all the differences that we see between wild and domestic hogs. But it's also interesting to note, you mentioned that most of the time in U.S. Census data, USDA data shows us that we a lot of times think wild hogs live in warm climates. And Canada is a testament that they can live anywhere. But why has there been this misconception for so long that wild boars preferred warmer climates? Well, I think much of that comes from the U- continental U.S. because, of course, the overwhelming majority of pigs are in California, Florida, um, and, uh, and Texas certainly has, you know, probably over three million animals. So, you know, on the order of half of all the pigs in the in the country are in Texas. And so it is very highly concentrated, and that's where they came from. Of course, they were first introduced by the Spanish. Oh, they were introduced a few times, but I think initially by the Spanish for hunting purposes in the Gulf Coast area. So they are where they started from, and so they have moved a certain distance. And um, I think there was a broad, I know there was a broad assumption that it was that they were very climate limited and would live in warm environments. And uh, one of the, probably the most chaos I've caused was that the first conference I went to and showed all these data of established reproducing populations in Canada. And ironically, in Canada, we have the opposite. We have relatively warm coasts and we have some nice places, but central Canada, the Canadian prairie provinces, uh, have the coldest winters anywhere. I mean, Ford tests their F-150s in central Manitoba because it's the hardest, coldest place to prove their, how good they are, right? So, um, you know, th- that was the assumption many made in Canada. They just simply wouldn't survive, but they're large, they're hairy, they originate from Siberia. So, you know, in hindsight, I don't think we should have been too surprised, but many thought at the time they were just fade away. They have done the exact opposite and they've exploded. You also mentioned that I thought was an amusing comment that as you go north or the further north you go, this the hardier, the thicker, the larger the animal gets. And that's the same, it sounds like, with the wild boar population. Yes, that's what we call Bergman's rule that's been established a long time ago, that within a single species, typically you'll get a, a larger size as you go north. And that's been demonstrated in quite a number of, of native species and seems to be the case in uh, wild pigs as well. To some degree, that might be 
uh, certainly to a point is tied to bringing in large breed domestic pigs to cross with them, but also there's a strong selection to survive in those cold. If you're bigger, you have an advantage. You're, you'll stay a lot warmer. So as you look at the issues, the uh, risk, I suppose you could say, that come along with wild boar populations, it sounds like there are quite a few different risks, but ultimately, you know, U.S., Canada producers in hog systems, why should they be aware and diligent about this? Well, certainly um, on the crop production side, they do tremendous damage to crops and especially corn. Corn is king when it comes to pigs, of course, uh, and no producer will be surprised by that because, of course, it's excellent domestic pig feed, but wild pigs will, they love corn not only for the nutrition, but also because it gives them hiding cover. And so unlike some crops where they get spotted and then shot in, if they move into corn, once it gets high enough, then it provides them hiding cover as well. So they do a tremendous damage to agricultural crops and on the feed production side, but also particularly on the disease concern side. And, you know, we talk about PED, we talk about PERS and, you know, worst case scenario, African swine fever. Um, You know, I I think the experts say that if it were to come to North America, it would most likely show up first in domestic pig farms. But from our research, perhaps one of the biggest concerns we've identified is that there's a lot of overlap in Canada between wild pigs running around the landscape and domestic pig farms and cattle operations as well, but and others. But certainly on the domestic pig side, concern about the what-if concern about African swine fever. If it got into domestic pigs and then jumped into wild pigs, and you know, wild pigs in Canada cover well over 300,000 square miles. So this is not a small isolated problem. And, and it's it's increasing massively every single day. And so it's it's continuing to spread. So it's getting worse, not better. So as you look at solutions, you shared an interesting story of, I think you were driving down the road and you stopped and flipped back around because you'd noticed that a wild boar had hopped into the pen of a domestic animal and you could see that they had bred, he'd bred the sow. How do you fix it? What are our solutions? Is it containment? Is it eradication? What's possible? Well, there. I certainly advocate, and I talk about wild pigs, but other issues like wolves and bears and cougars, and I have the same message for all these wildlife issues, is that you need to take a toolbox approach. If you're looking for one single solution, uh, that isn't a realistic approach. You need lots of tools in the toolbox, and you need to use all of them really, really well to get on this. Unfortunately, certainly Texas, for example, does not talk about eradication. They have every part of every the corner of the state has pigs, and they have something over three million, as I understand. So they have they don't talk about eradication. Canada, some people are still talking about it as if it's possible. But one thing I noted today is that if you think eradication is possible in Canada, then you don't understand the situation. We have, I said for many years when we first started this, I said, yes, it could be possible to eradicate, but the window is closing rapidly. That window is now long since passed. We have um, many thousands of animals spread over many hundreds of thousands of square miles. Uh, we don't put that genie back in the bottle. But the good news is there are huge areas that can be maintained pig-free. Like like in the U.S., for example, Montana is currently pig-free and doing a really good job of staying that way. British Columbia, Ontario, the Atlantic provinces on the East Coast, uh, the Northern Territories, 
those all could very reasonably expect to become, either become pig-free or, or, or stay pig-free uh, over the next 100 years with diligence and monitoring and, and good approach. The prairie provinces of Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan have missed that boat, and they're just one big, large population on the prairies. Uh, but there's still areas where they can be minimally, you know, we can, I, I've advocated for a long time saying we should zone the area and say, okay, this area has very low pigs and we're going to try and keep them out. This area, you know, I, I showed a large yellow circle and, and we know there's more pigs in that one circle than the rest of Canada combined. That area is going to have pigs for the next thousand years. We know that, but we can help producers with fencing. And I'm an advocate and I know it's, it's a big ask, but as a preventative tool, I believe in good fencing, and I also believe in double fencing because, of course, fencing will keep pigs out, but pigs are attracted to each other. They will mate with each other. We've seen pigs mate through a fence because I think it's fair to expect governments to do lots of things, and they are doing those. But I think there is, a, from my view, I think it's a shared responsibility between each individual producer to be monitoring their own farm and, and, and you know, identifying those risks. And what we have both in the U.S. and Canada is a program we call Squeal on Pigs. And that's if a producer or other public citizen sees a wild pig out, call the experts in. Certainly one of our key messages is this is not a DYI, do-it-yourself operation. Um, if you shoot at pigs, then you will almost certainly have more pigs. And it's ironic and it's been a hard message to explain but the big problem is that if you see 10 pigs and you shoot at them, you're almost never going to go at all of them. And people will say, oh, I'm a great hunter, and, I'm, and I'll say, I believe you 100%, but pigs are such good hiders, and they disappear into heavy tree cover and bush and wetlands. And so almost never will hunters get all 10 in a group. And so any, any of those survive, they become almost instantly purely nocturnal, so you can't see them at night. They become extremely more wary and more hiding in riparian cover and willows and under spruce trees and disappear into, I mean, they bury themselves under soil. They disappear in Canada under snowbanks. And so uh, we don't see them a lot. Uh, and certainly as scientists flying around in helicopters and planes and infrared cameras and GPS tracked animals, I don't see them that often. So your average producer is unlikely to see them. So just because you're not seeing them doesn't mean they're not around. And that trail camera will be one of your best tools to say, okay, well, we, we think we have them here and, and we can deal with it then. But certainly being proactive and not waiting to say, okay, now we have wild pigs, now we're going to try and do that. Especially given the severity of some of these diseases, PERS, PED, and, and of course concern over African swine fever. These are, this is where investments in biosecurity before is a great investment of time and energy. You mentioned eradication really isn't probably a feasible option, and farmers, ranchers, producers should not be trying to eradicate or contain the issue themselves. They should be calling in experts such as yourself. What are you and your team doing to help contain the situation? Well, our focus at the university is primarily on research to understand the problem and advocated strongly that you can't tackle this without information and data. And so one of our most important outputs, and certainly our most defensible output, has been national-scale maps of where wild pigs are on the landscape. And so we've actually tracked that expansion from uh, the early 90s. We had our first occurrence documented in Canada in 1995. So it's been a relatively recent problem in Canada till now in 2020 where we're getting 
um, you know, we get about 4.2 new occurrences every single day for the last five years. And so people report to us, and then we compile it into maps. We track their spread. We predict their spread. We look at uh, identifying under – because, of course, Canada is so seasonal. You know, you go up in January, it's 40 below and three feet of snow. You come in summer, and it's 98 degrees and sunny and doesn't look all that different from Iowa. And I noticed as I drove through this beautiful state, I kept thinking, this looks kind of like home. So, But, you know, very seasonal. So we look at different habitats and how they're used in different seasons. We've also done a lot of research on this thing called we call a Judas pig technique, where uh, we capture a pig, give it a vasectomy so it can't spread offspring across the landscape, put a GPS satellite tracking collar on it, and let it go. And that is by far the best tool in the toolbox to find other pigs. And so our job isn't finding and removing them. You know, control, that's really big programs to trap and remove them. That's state and federal level the issue. And those are the experts. They have the resources to do that. But our work is to really support that by identifying where pigs are, have real-time detection through trail cameras, through working with people that know. And it's so funny, if it, like on Twitter, if somebody posts something about wild pigs of any kind, 37 people tag, hey, at Ryan K. Brook, hey, saw a pig, hey, at Ryan K. Brook, saw this. And, and they'll copy me in tweets, which is awesome because that's what we want. We want this network, and we also want to have that trust because we know that you know, like your favorite fishing spot, you don't put that on Facebook and tell everybody it is. You want to contain that. Well, some people like to hunt them, and some people don't want to have to deal with, you know, perhaps some concerns around disease or whatever. So not everybody is comfortable saying to anybody, hey, I saw a pig. But we have that trust, and people do share theirs with us. So that's a cornerstone of our success, I think, is people know and trust us now over many, many years of this. And we're sort of the voice of pigs on a lot of these files and advocating for action because – the first eight years of this was very few people would return my calls. Very few people wanted to take any action at all. And so it's been, frankly, quite an uphill battle. And it's only really in the last two years where Canada is starting to have discussions about taking real action. And so probably one of my, I would say, my biggest contribution over the last 13 years is saying we need to get in front of this and saying this is really important. And I've been accused by more than one person of being a, uh, sort of making up stories to try and generate research funding. But I will, uh, with as much humbleness as I can possibly muster, say I was a, I was 100% right. And <laughs> I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. And so uh, that sort of, I think, gives me uh, no pleasure to say that because I wish they would have been uh, eliminated or gone away. And I, I people would ridicule me for the rest of my career and say I was wrong. But, of course, that's not the case. So... So really advocating for change. And we work a lot with producers saying, I don't want to do, what can we do? And, and you know, national parks. What does a national park do in the face of our first national park uh, just this last year had its first occurrence of wild pigs in a national park? And their potential to be disastrous for protected areas is right up there as well. Ducks Unlimited, Nature Conservancy. All We have those same groups in Canada. And uh, what do you do if you get wild pigs in your duck nesting area or in a, you know, protected prairie? So a whole long list of concerns and, and lots of things to worry about, and including public safety as well. These things are massive, and they can be dangerous. Someone in a couple of years ago near Dallas, Texas, a woman was in an r- urban area, and she was walking from her car to her house and was taken down by a group of pigs and killed. 
And so they can be super aggressive and they can also be a public health concern. So a whole bunch of things that we uh, sort of keep me awake at night, absolutely. And I, I, I've said at some point, I said, you know, when I started on Wild Pigs, I had a beautiful lush ha- head of uh, brown hair. Most of that is long gone or, or gray, and I, I blame it on Wild Pigs. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Ryan. We certainly appreciate your time to share this insight with the listeners on the Pig X podcast and I uh, wish you the best of luck with the continued research. Thank you so much. And it's just a great honor to be invited to speak at iOS Wine Day. As always, thank you for tuning in with us on this special edition of the Pig X podcast, where we've been highlighting some of the great speakers from the Iowa Swine Day. Tune back in with us in September for another great episode covering more important topics impacting swine survivability. Until then, I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast. Pig X is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. Big X. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.